0: world's not as simple as it used to be. It's not enough to be a good guy anymore. We have to be the best. Time has come. All
1: will be accounted for. Or will they Stand up. It's time to be the heroes we were always meant to be.
0: Life is good. I finally unlocked Wong. <laughs> yeah. And so I feel pretty good about things boy Wong is way cooler in every medium than he is in the
1: comics <laughs> what is what does Wong do snap
0: uh, he creates an ongoing effect that doubles your on reveal abilities Wow which can really yeah. get crazy
2: stacking with other stuff like if you put Odin on there then they just yeah. kind of
0: back and forth and back and forth and back and like I think you can break it so I've got I've the the worst experience I've ever had. Uh, was somebody put Wong on Onslaught's Citadel?
2: Oh, double ongoing effect.
0: And then managed to play both Gambit and Odin. Oh gosh! And the game freaked out. Did it kill all it of just, your cards? <laughs> yes, and then kept blowing things up for ten more minutes.
2: Jeez. And it's
0: like that's not how that's not how Gambit works. Yeah. Oh, it was bad. Um, they may have had Onslaught on there as well, actually. That might have been what broke it. Yeah, wow. Yeah, current, I just, I literally just finished a, a Marvel Snap game where on one location I had Wong, Ironheart, White Tiger, and then I played Odin. And so, so just throwing yeah. tigers all over the place. Yep. And that was round five. On round
2: six, my opponent retreated. <laughs> Does that mean... I'm just looking at my recent cards. I don't know if ever Does everyone get the same cards in the same order? No. No. It's randomized. Oh. Okay. So it's not like, I finally got Wong. That means we're all at level 50 or whatever. And Okay.
1: No, no. There's, there's like a... You unlock like a pool of cards depending on what level you're at. So from like certain levels, you unlock... I guess you like unlock the ability to unlock a specific set of cards.
2: I just want I just want to play around with Super Scroll because the card looks cool and I think it'd be fun to like just drop and be like,
1: ha but uh, i I was gonna mention a little earlier. Uh thank goodness that Doctor Strange did not uh you know cure cancer so we could keep Wong so we could have an amazing card that breaks the game. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> I picked up on that reference. Well done. Yeah, clear Re- clearly the best <laughs> the best timeline. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I don't understand Wong, excuse me, Dr. Strange and Iron Man are similarly terrible, but I like Dr. Strange.
1: Is it because you have a bias because he's a doctor? I'm pretty
0: sure mm. I have a bias because Tony Stark is a Republican.
1: <laughs> Gosh, that, that I hate that, that you said that and it makes sense.
2: Oh, that's going to knock all
0: the dominants back.
1: I cannot oh, no. argue that at all. Oh, no. I mean, you back in the
0: day, you know, we always had those arguments or those conversations about which superheroes would have voted for Trump. Oh, and there's man. one right answer. There are many arguable answers, but there's only one right answer. Ugh.
1: Yeah, I feel like I feel like Captain America could vote for Trump, not not because he likes Trump, but because he's still confused about which one is technically the the Republican Party and which one's the Democrats. Because like time changes a lot of things.
0: They had that touch screen in the. In the voting booth. Oh, that would have tripped him up. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Boy. Anyway, speaking of being all tripped up, this is the Superhuman Registration Podcast, where I am having trouble remembering what day it is. (laughs) I'm Steven. I've got John and Aldo with me on the line. At least I hope I do. Gentlemen, how are you doing this evening?
1: Hello. I hope I'm John. I'm
0: I'm wearing his underwear.
1: The co-host name for John and Aldo is Jodo. (laughs)
0: <laughs> JoJo's Bizarre Adventure.
1: <laughs> nah, no, I hate this. We made a JoJo's reference. <laughs> it's,
0: better oh than, no. it's better than Alden, because
2: that sounds like Alden Brian. I really
1: feel like it would have been Aln. Aln? With a, Aln is, yeah with, a, yeah. with a silent H in the middle.
2: That makes me feel like I'm a like a, a monk in the medieval times or something. I'm Father, Own.
1: Father sounds Aln. sounds like alms.
2: Yeah. If you don't mind me, I'll be, be copying the Bible till I die. <laughs> y'all y'all ever see The Secret of Kells? No, it's on my list. I have a big list of
0: freaking of stuff that's going to be great. I haven't, you know. Put it at the top of your list. Like, Secret of Kells is on par with, like, the Mamoru Hosida, like, kind of really good, but sort of a hidden gem. Like, it's not going to be your first pick for a, for a show. You just watch the darn thing. It's so good.
1: So, here's, here's my question, because we've put a lot of stuff at the top of John's list, such as Full Metal Alchemist, Brotherhood, oh. and Wolf Children. Does it go above those in the list? And it's the list. Uh. <laughs> This whole podcast is about making lists, and now there's a sub-list of
0: crap John needs to get around to watching. <laughs> that is a hard one. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say... Mm, oh Does it go above Wolf Children? No, it doesn't go above Wolf yeah. Children.
1: And here's, like, my thing, too, is, like, Wolf Children is a, it's a really good film. I don't, by no means will it ever, like, ever consider it a bad film. But John's a father. Yeah, is Wolf Children gonna make me cry? No, not, not like in a, not like a sad cry. But as It a, might um, make you sad cry. As a father and as a son, you will cry.
0: I uh, just realized I haven't seen Wolf Children since I became a father. Oh, and boy. Holy crap. Like, you watch it, and it, it's like, this is, you know, how you learn to appreciate your mom. Mm-hmm. But now I'm a parent, and I'm like, oh, crap. How is the... How how am I going to react to the boys' storyline? That's the bit that I'm yeah. like, I don't... I do not know how I am going to be able to handle that.
1: I, I always thought <sighs> it was a little interesting, because, like, when, when I showed it to my mom, like... You know, my mom's not... I mean, she, she pretty much was, like, a single mom, because, like, my dad worked a lot, so he wasn't around. I didn't, it's not that I didn't have a dad. My dad was just busy all the time. So, like, we, my family, uh, minus my dad, who has not seen the movie, um, again, because of the work thing, we've all really related to, to Wolf Children, because it is, like, about a single mother raising two kids, and the kids' dynamic really matches, like, my sister and myself, like, a lot, like, eerily close. Oh, I can see that.
0: yeah. I can see that from what little I know of her.
1: Yeah, and so like the the way that the kids, you know, in two hours, the way that the kids mature and find their own paths in lives also really mirrors a lot of like what my sister and I have been through with my mom as like we've grown up over, you know, 30 plus years at this point. Gosh, I'm old. <laughs> so long story short, every time I watch that movie, I have to call my mom like as soon as the credits start rolling and i have like stopped crying enough i have to call my mom and just be like i'm calling you for no reason other than i love you she's like you watched wolf children again didn't you i'm like
0: <laughs> yes
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just a very like beautiful movie uh, like about like about parenthood um and it's yeah. it's painful but not like nobody dies <laughs> i just want to get that clear well the main cast doesn't die.
2: <laughs> I was misled in me, the, me and Earl and the Dying Girl, um, <laughs> which I mean the title there it is. But you yeah. go through like, hey, maybe it's going to be all right, and then no,
1: and like yeah, yeah. There, I mean there <sighs> is like a character death, but like it's it's kind of the catalyst to the rest of the movie. So it's not like it's not at the end. It's it doesn't hit you like that. But just like as a, as a son or as a child of a parent. That movie really hits, like, in a very specific way, like, very just emotionally. And I imagine, as a parent, um, at least based on, like, my mom's, like, reaction to the movie, it also hits very emotionally in a very specific way.
2: Yeah. That's uh, all well and good, but what does it do for wolf fans? That's really what I want
1: to know. <laughs> Surprisingly, not a lot, which is great. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So where should we start our conversation tonight? I'm thinking comics. <laughs> comics is good. Do you want me to take uh, Dracula? I, should we start with Tomb of Dracula?
2: I just thought you, I you'd okay like a, a second to, uh, you know, rally, wake up, and and uh,
1: yeah, I don't know. Row, ro- yeah, row, row, fight the power. <laughs> wake up, get up, get out there.
0: <laughs> Hold on, I'm gonna let Aldo. I've finish. been playing that. Anyway, let's. Why don't we go ahead and start by by covering Tomb of Dracula? Okay, I'm going to sum this up.
2: As briefly as possible, because I'm terrible at this. Blade joins up with a strike force of vampire hunters in an effort to take out Dracula while he is vulnerable um, as he goes through a transformation ritual where he is in a weakened state prior to him becoming a super vampire who could take over the world. That's that's the story that we read. Now, it begins when Blade is traveling through the streets and he's following this woman we find out later is Divinity uh, Drake. And, no, anyway, no, I'm not going to go through beat by beat. But Blade, I don't know how to, like, seriously, like, that. that's the story, is Blade kind of teams, teams up with this group of vampire hunters and is kind of the naysayer kind of, you know, wet blanket of the group the whole time. And, um, all right. He finds this woman, who we learn is Divinity Drake, who is also a half vampire. She is being recruited by Noah Van Helsing, who also recruits Benjamin Solomon Aloni, who's from Guyana, who knows tech weapons. His family was killed by vampires. Michito Watanabe, who's a samurai, whose family was killed by vampires. Lucas Tellingstone, a Native American magician; Enzo Ferrara, a former Jesuit priest, a holy vampire hunter. They're all gonna. They're all recruited, and we. They're they're mentioned, but nobody really gets their time to shine very much. Divinity does. Everyone has little moments, but it, it's kind of they get into trouble. Deus ex machina. Someone bails them out. They get into trouble, and it's there. There are some zigs and zags where the the story could have been better. I thought Noah Van Helsing has all this information that uh, from the the previous time where the scariest vampire on earth went through a transformation like this and they um uh, prevented it dracula is now going through it and he's a tougher vampire blade keeps saying you know he is a strategist you know he was a medieval lord with a castle and all this stuff before he became a vampire he's a conqueror all this kind of stuff and they're like we got this because we're gonna We're going to nuke Dracula. That is a thing that happens. That is a part of the plan is to nuke (laughs) Dracula. That's what they should have called it. Not Tomb of Dracula, but Blade nukes Dracula. Blade's like, you can't do that. And they're like, look, this is, we know this is probably a suicide mission, but this is worth it because otherwise he's going to take over the world. Come on. So they are attacked several times on their way to... Transylvania. They finally get there. Uh, Noah Van Helsing is uh, kidnapped. Turns out he's a step Van Helsing, and he's been trying to like live up to the Van Helsing name, but it was just his his uh, mother's second husband. Dracula's like, oh you you rented his stepchild you, and then kills him. And turns out um, we we keep having this. Oh what what's going on with uh, Divinity Drake? Is she a vampire? Is she something else? Turns out she's a vampire, but she also. It has a reflection, and she bleeds, and she breathes, so she's something else, and it turns out that she is the ancient sorcerer that had previously stopped the uh, vampire from going through this uh, transformation, Amshed, and she hid her on identity from her own memory, and when Dracula tries to take her out, then she takes him out, just overwhelms him, and defeats him. Blade sticks a uh, stake into his chest and um, they they win, they defeat Dracula, and it takes out his horde and everything. So, that's Tomb of Dracula. I don't know, there's like more, more in death stuff, but it's a
0: pretty pretty simple story,
2: pretty straightforward. What did you guys think?
0: I wanted to hate it. Because, mm-hmm. like you say, there are a lot of places where the story can be better. It introduces all of these characters who do not matter at all. The art, I found to be a little bit muddy. Yeah. And so, like, there's all these little things that I kind of want to nitpick, but at the end of the day... This is basically a Hellboy story, and I like Hellboy stories. I even <laughs> like mediocre Hellboy stories. There, there are very few Hellboy stories that I have read that I have not liked, at, at least a little bit. And so, even though this is, like, a, a pretty imperfect story, and I kind of hate to rag on imperfect stories from creative teams that I don't really know, I, I couldn't bring myself to fully hate it. And I think part of that is that it managed to surprise me. It's a very sort of standard supernatural superhero story where, you know, the big bad is going to ascend to power via a ritual that can only be performed once every thousand years. And so they have to stop the ritual. And yeah, like the the twist at the end where Divinity winds up actually being uh, like a reincarnation or, you know, the, the new form of the sorcerer who thwarted Dracula last time. That was genuinely a twist I didn't see coming. And so, despite all of its imperfections, the fact that it managed to surprise me, yeah, I didn't hate it. Yeah. I was
2: bothered how um, Blade was drawn a lot. I'm okay with they didn't just, like, go with, okay, let's make him look like Wesley Snipes, you know, because he that's a, a famous um, version of him. But his, like, jaw just looks funny. Maybe they're going for, like, hey, remember, he's a vampire. Don't forget he's a vampire. But he has this, like, weird jaw every time, like, this kind of, like, gritted teeth kind of, and it sticks out funny. It just looks odd every single time I see it. it. It is a little muddy. I think that's a good way of putting it. The paneling's not bad. There are some really cool action poses. So it's like, it's just good enough where it's like, all right, but the, there are moments where it's like, this this could have been better. Um, there are, you know, the panels where Amshed confronts uh, Dracula, it's cool. Um, it's all black and, you know, she's glowing and she takes him out. And before that, when he's this enormous vampire about to, like, absorb her and it's going to be, you know, end of the world awful or whatever, you know. The panel, I think issue four really sells it. A couple of other things, like, the amount of crosses in... Noah Van Helsing's room would make a televangelist blush. It's like, we want no risk whatsoever for any vampire to come anywhere near this room. It's just, he looks like he's like, you know, he first pops up in like a video conference window to Divinity. And it's, it looks like, oh, I'm sorry,
0: my church is on. I gotta, I gotta call you back, Blade, you know. (laughs) You know, so I'm like, I'm a religious person. I like Christianity, like specifically the, you know, care for the poor and the needy sort of, almost radical leftist christianity that's my favorite type of christianity my second favorite type of christianity is castlevania christianity which is i think more what we're getting here so this came out 2004 2005 i don't know (laughs) if this
2: was the height of chris angel's powers but that's what they made dracula look like in the first issue he's atop a pile of scantily clad women he has no shirt he has on tight pants um he's got long hair he's spooky looking and yeah so that's weird we have a couple of different people listed here in the creative team: uh, Bruce Jones, uh, writer; uh, Jamie Talagson, penciler; Jay Leston, inker; Corey Pettit, letterer; also penciler. I I like the covers on these. I think that like when you look closely at yes. them, like it's a little kind of sketchy. It's not very neat, but the the. Um, colors and the poses and everything, I think, really make up for it. It's really evocative. It's really cool. Let's see. Tom Palmer, Edgar Delgado, or do inks and colors um, for issue two. We have in the fourth issue, a another writer listed here, and the third issue, Rob Brody. want to make sure I mention everybody. Yeah, there's there's just enough good here where it's like, okay, this is, this is not bad, but, you know, a few weird things. Blade in a skeezy vampire club at the beginning is just, bleh. like, I don't know. Maybe I'm not good with gore. But the, the uh, you know, really aggro vampire dude in the beginning, like, falling into a pool of blood and then coming out and then Blade, you know, straight up Looney Tunes cutting him up was pretty cool.
1: So the thing I was going to mention about that, because Steven did mention that this very much felt like a Hellboy story, which, I mean, he's, he's not wrong. I'm, I'm not going to say he's wrong, because he's not. But it also... I am going to say. <laughs> but, uh... It also really feels like one of the Blade movies, almost specifically Blade Two, which was a Guillermo del Toro movie, who also there directed Hellboy, <laughs> the good one. <laughs> but and Blade Two, I think Blade Two came out just before this. That's what I think. So I don't I'm pulling think it that up to. Yeah, I don't think that's a coincidence. I think this was a kind of an intentional.
2: Well, it's like after a Marvel movie comes out, you get that flavor in the comics. Whether you wanted it or not, they're like, "Well, this is the version people know now, so we're going to go with this mm-hmm. version."
0: Two thousand four is the era of uh, the Blade movies, the Underworld movies, that uh, Aaliyah Queen of the Damned movie, if I remember correctly. Was I thought around that was ninety nine. I mean, whatever.
1: That's the Vampire the Masquerade era, really, because that's what a lot of those, a lot of those uh, movies and kind of that visual language came from was vampire the masquerade
2: so i i as a kid was afraid of vampires knowing that they didn't they weren't real but i don't know i saw some like special on tv and i it was all about like you know history of vampires and like where people think they come from and it had so many clips from different vampire movies and stuff that it really freaked me out and so, like, for years I had to sleep, you know, putting a sheet over both shoulders. Because if I covered both of my shoulders, it was close enough to covering my neck that it counted. Um, these are things I should probably examine why I did that. Anyway, uh, didn't get eaten by a vampire, so that's good. Um, and, but the the fact that there's a monster with rules. Maybe it's... Similar to learning about comic book characters' powers, but, you know, Dracula can't, like, vampires can't go outside in the sunlight. You can kill them with a stake to the heart. Garlic kills them, weakens them. I'm never quite sure about garlic, but, you know, I always throw in plenty in my pasta sauce just in case to keep them away. What else? They, uh, you know, can't abide seeing the sign of the cross. Holy water will get them. Uh, Can't see a reflection I don't know. This has now come around to where I still enjoy vampires, but I'm glad that we have what we do in the shadows, both the movie and the TV show, because that's like a lighter (laughs) side. That is some of the funniest. It is such a funny show and uh, both show and movie. I think it's uh, rare that we get uh, like a spiritual successor that's, you know, it, it is the same creative team and everything, but it's just so well done where they're not just redoing it. It's just you get more of the same without anything feeling tired or, or, or familiar. You know, you get, it's another group of vampires in another location doing this, you know, kind of documentary series thing. And it's hilarious. It's so funny. So, I, I don't know. I, I've always kind of liked vampires. And so seeing this was, you know, there was stuff in there. I was like, all right. Um, stupid that this group of vampire hunters would travel to their destination through a deep, dark tunnel. How dumb do you have to be? And, like, they realize it pretty quickly, like, oh, this is definitely a trap, and then they're almost taken out. And then the, the deus ex machina, I'm sorry, that's not their name. Their name is the Mortis Invitus, the unwilling dead, <laughs> show up at the last second to save the team. So, you know, okay. Anytime you're in trouble with vampires, you need to hope for a group of, like, you know... Uh, vampire some, like, ninjas. Good guy, yeah, vampire ninjas. Like, good guy vampire ninjas. Yeah, that's exactly what they are, so...
1: Uh, more to invite us, more like I did not invite you. Get out of here.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: And this I will, I will give. This is the only credit I will give Twilight. <laughs> um, that I, I think vampires really do come in like two eras, and I hate that one of them is like the Twilight era, and then the other oh. one's like a classical vampire era. And the yeah. classical vampire stuff is fun. Uh, that's all like the religious cross stuff. That's a lot of the you know they hurt by the sunlight, garlic, the mirror stuff, blah 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 blah. Right. And then we've kind of entered a new era of vampires, where it's like a lot of that stuff is kind of thrown out the window, and now it's kind of like you know the eternal youth thing. A lot of them are kind of like you know hurt, broken protagonists. But I don't like that that we're in
2: the dawn of the or the not the dawn, but we're in the era of the sexy vampire. But not like okay,
1: no, okay, but the vampires always been sexy. You cannot you cannot complain about that. The vampires always been sexy. It's always but this is this is the weird the weird like.
2: Hey, young girl, I'm glittery. And that guy, that guy, like, you know, I watched Tenet last night and I was like, Robert Pattinson, like, how did you go from, you know, all those crap Twilight movies to
1: being so good in Tenet and Batman? Like, he's a great Batman. Because he, he need a paycheck and he hates Twilight. Oh, my God. If you ever want a little bit of joy in your life, watch any post-Twilight interview about him promoting, like, the last Twilight film. It's great. He hates those movies. And a boy. But and that's like that's one of those things that I'm happy to see like Blade stick with. Granted, this is pre-Twilight, so like that doesn't really apply. But I think by what we saw in King in Black, it looks like Marvel and Blade, I guess by extension, the franchise has kept that kind of classical vampire uh, idea, and I really enjoy it. I I like I like monsters with rules because I like to see those rules be played around with.
0: Yeah, you remember when the X Men became Draculas for a while.
1: Yeah, I'm, isn't
0: Jubilee still them, a or just Jubilee? I don't know. We should we should go read that story at
1: some point. What more X Men stuff? Not nah, on this podcast, outrageous. <laughs> Why must you hate the things I love? <laughs> I I'm I don't hate them. I'm just I'm just saying like we never read X Men. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, sorry. B- back to talking about the actual book, though. <laughs> I liked it. It was fine. Uh,
0: yeah. Although, what did you actually think of this book? Because I don't
1: think you've said anything. Oh, yeah. I I actually enjoyed it. It was a little cheesy, which is fine. Like, it's a vampire book. I don't really expect a lot, <laughs> which is, I guess, a little unfair. But, uh, you know, it's it's a book where Blade is trying to not nuke Dracula because, you know, he cares about the people who would be affected by, you know, nuclear fallout and radiation and stuff like that, which is, you know, real superhero-y thing of him to do, which I appreciate. I I think, Mike, one of the few... I don't know if it's a complaint because I don't know if it's a trope. Is it a trope that the Japanese character has to, like, harakiri themselves to, like, stop yes. a thing? Like, that's a trope, yeah. right? Like, it feels like
0: I, it. It, it. I'm remembering now why I was down on this book for so much of it. Some of it is the beginning that John pointed to, which I think is a little needlessly grimdark. And some of it is the way that this treats specifically her. Like it's not great with the uh, Native American guy either, mm-hmm. but the way that it treats the Japanese
1: aspect's pretty rough. There's a lot of tropes here. I feel like this story, probably because it's so short, it's kind of depending on a lot of like like shorthand for a lot of these things, right? Like the, like we've tackled vampires in so many different ways from different cultures and movies and stuff at, at this point in two thousand and four. So it feels like they they kind of use some shorthand because they're like, well, we have four issues, right? Like, we can't really delve too deep into somebody's power set or skill set or even, like, the rules of their vampire. So we'll use a lot of shorthand for what we think will help us do more stuff as we go through, right? And so, like, that's one of them. But that's part of the
0: problem, though, is, like, I googled the the Japanese term that they mm-hmm. use. What was it, like, yuki-ona, something like that? Yuki-ona, yeah. Does... Does not exist. Ah, oh, jeez. Right. That's not, a, that's not a thing. Like, I typed in, it's like Yiki-Ona.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And snow Google spits out Yuki-Ona, which is like a snow maiden. It's like a ghost. Not a vampire. So they're taking some liberties. And yeah. Putting Put fangs where fangs don't belong.
1: But what I'm saying is, like, that's not the shorthand that they're using. I'm talking more about the characters themselves. So you give a Japanese character. Hey, here's a Japanese vampire. No, we don't know better because it's two thousand and four. What's the sure way to defeat them? Harakiri. Like you that's kind of what I mean, right? It's like that yeah. type of shorthand.
0: Yeah, and like it's that coupled with the weird, like misappropriation of the actual Japanese folklore figure, and I just did not have much goodwill to extend to this book and so yeah i think it's the ending itself that kind of saves it for me but there's some pretty like not great stuff along the
1: way again uh so that's kind of my problem is i feel like the characters are a little tropey and granted it's a bunch of characters written to be disposable whether within the story or to just not follow up on them later because i don't think anybody that survived has ever been brought up again as far as i know the other thing was, I I like the beginning of it. Again, that's because to me, it gave, it gave me a lot of like Blade 2 vibes. And I thought the ending was actually really, really well done. I did like the whole kind of subplot, maybe. I don't know if it's a subplot, but a little bit about Blade kind of having to deal with his like lower in, like impulses or well, I don't know what the phrase is, but just kind of him. It's, it's a, one of those things where it's like, am I attracted to this girl? Because like it's a vampire thing or is it? Cause I'm focused on her. Cause like she has, there's something weird about her aura, or her vibe, or whatever. I thought that was kind of an interesting little kind of story that was kind of going through with Blade. That's kind of how I felt a lot about. Maybe if we had more issues, because the, the
2: plot, you know, is very quick. But if we had more issues, maybe we could see more of Dracula trying to work behind the scenes and listening in and, and, you know, being one step ahead the whole time. Um, that's, I think, what works is that it turns out this girl that we don't know, <laughs> is she bad, is she good, is she bad, is she good? Oh, she's from the beginning had a plan the whole time that even she didn't know about. It's like, okay, that's a good last minute twist there. Some of these other vampire hunters, that, that could be a cool story and we don't really get any of that they don't get their own time to shine it's mostly just everyone's in on this and blade keeps keeps being like you know well i don't know about this guys and it's like you're a you're a vampire hunter man like do your job
1: i think my solution to this which i don't want that to be a recurring segment on every episode even though it has been (laughs) the last few Mm -hmm. episodes (laughs) you know all those fix for this book cut cut the vampire hunters in like half get rid of noah just have blade get in contact with this girl and then they pick up a couple vampire hunters that maybe blade already knows from you know past stuff don't bring in the the vampire ninjas and like just have a lot more of that focus be on divinity is she gonna betray that smaller group and obviously kind of blades inner turmoil i think you could keep that at four books and with a much smaller cast and like things going on i think it would make a more interesting book in the amount of time that we have
0: yeah, so it's interesting if you look in Marvel Unlimited, the first two books, like the description that they have in the app, says that they are parts one and two of six.
1: Interesting. But okay. there's
0: only four books, I, so I don't know if that's a mistake on Marvel Unlimited's part or
1: maybe they right? had maybe they had planned six books, and about halfway through they were like, we we gotta we gotta cut it down.
0: But it's funny because it's like the pacing issues are present from the beginning. I feel. Yeah.
1: Like. No, I agree.
2: That's That will also confuse me, and I was like, oh, this is just, they just, nah, you know, we have four instead of six, but, you know, I, I didn't feel like there were missing scenes. Like, the, there are things that we could have expanded on more, but it didn't, it didn't like, jump around, like, hey,
1: how did they get to Transylvania, you know. The, uh. yeah. I, yeah, I feel like this book had a lot of small issues, and agreeing with both John and Stephen, the ending really does kind of redeem the whole, well, not the whole book, but it really redeems the, the experience a bit. It certainly helps. Yes. That's all the opinion I have. <laughs> <laughs> We've invited
2: this story in. Is there a way to uh, put it back in its coffin? Stick a stick a steak in it?
1: Anything like that? <laughs> I would like a steak right now, honestly. Jeez, that sounds real. <laughs> is it, though? Do, do you think... Do you think Dracula likes his steak medium rare?
0: I think he likes it raw. I think he likes his steak very far away from him. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, if we don't have anything else to say about... Do we have anything else to say about Tomb of Dracula?
1: I don't, other than there is a really good inter, uh, documentary about Vampire the Masquerade and how a lot of modern, or at least at that time, modern from like this era, stole a lot of its visual identity from Vampire the Masquerade. And it's super interesting.
0: Weird. I, I might want to watch that, actually. I will find it and send it to you. I would appreciate that. Let's move on and talk about Ironheart, then.
1: Ironheart.
0: So, Ironheart, 2018 series. I, this... Sp- Spins out of the events of one of the other big Marvel events. I've forgotten which one already. I guess maybe Secret Empire. Whatever doesn't matter. Anyway, Ironheart. This is a series that was written by Eve Ewing, with art by Kevin Lebranda and Luciano Vecchio, layouts by Jeffo, colors by Matt Milla, and letters by Clayton Cowles. Ironheart is, of course, Riri Williams, a young woman who uh, comes from a poor neighborhood but is, in fact, brilliant and a mechanical genius on par with Tony Stark. She has built herself a suit of Iron Man armor and is going on adventures while trying to further her own Uh, scientific pursuit. She has a lab at, I think it's MIT, and she's got some tension there with the administrators of the school who feel like she owes them some publicity because of, you know, them giving her resources, but she wants her independence and it's this whole thing. Uh, She is kind of pulled back into her old home life, in part because she's reconnected with an old, I don't know if it's an old flame. There's certainly some like romantic implications between her and her friend But also, there's another former friend of hers, someone who helped her out when she was in high school and had skipped a bunch of grades, who has gone missing, and so she's on the lookout for her. There's this ring of pickpocketers running around uh, Chicago as well, and... Yeah, so she thinks all of these things are connected, trying to chase him down. There's a crooked politician running around who she thinks might be involved. Or maybe the story's just setting him up to be involved because he's, spoiler alert, very involved. While she's investigating all of this, she gets attacked by some crazy ninja guys, including a mysterious sort of high-tech soldier who goes by the name of Midnight's Fire? It's a dumb name. (laughs) Oh, it's a... It's an incredibly bad supervillain name. He is not a terrible character. Like, he's kind of interesting and, you know, really puts her through her paces. But, yeah, terrible name. They have a couple of fights. She uh, learns more about his deal. Turns out he's a member of the Ten Rings, the criminal organization, which I don't think really existed until the Iron Man movies realized that the Mandarin was problematic, and so they turned the Ten Rings into a criminal organization. But he's trying to recruit... Riri to join the Ten Rings. Uh, long story short, she manages to track down her friend, she saves her, she thwarts the pickpocketing ring, which was being masterminded by this politician who was using the technology to cell phones and things that were uh, stolen in this pickpocketing ring to get insider information on people and blackmail them, basically, for political donations and favors and stuff. So Riri Williams stops all this. She has reconnected with her old friend, she has reconnected with her mother, he starts going to support groups so they can get over the the death of her stepfather, or rather, cope with, rather than get over. And yeah, there's this sort of, like, residual open question of how is she going to handle the Ten Rings, because they're going to continue to come for her. That's the story in a nutshell. Really, this story made a much bigger impression on me than the other Riri Williams story that we read, so I'm glad we came back to this. I think I'm... Fairly positive on this book. It's not perfect, but it's pretty good. What were your guys' thoughts?
1: I liked it. I thought this was a Mm -hmm. good take on the character and kind of why she's different from, like, the champions, right? Because she's not hanging out with the champions, even though she definitely fits in that category of hero. And so this really feels like a really good, solid attempt at giving her, like, an earnest identity that is separate from them. And that is separate from, you know, young girl Tony Stark so I really like that a lot of this book is kind of delving into why do you do this right and why do you do this alone more importantly and so kind of seeing that whole kind of thing kind of be investigated and really kind of dug into and just seeing how she reacts to people and help and all these things I thought was a really good touch I think this was a really strong attempt to give the character their own identity, both narratively and at a character level.
2: Very agreed. Yeah. I liked it. Um, I I kind of wanted more of it, you know, but I think, you know, her kind of struggling, you know, which world am I in? You know, what should I be doing right now? How can I best use this? Mostly I was distracted by her friggin' Dean kept popping in. It's like, get out of her lab, man. This is not secure. She has a she has an Iron Man suit. She's got her Ironheart suit, and you're just letting anybody to wander it, and then it turns out bad guys got in that way. I don't know. They're just... There's no logic with some comic book characters. I want better lab security for the mad scientists of the
1: Marvel comics is what I'm saying. <laughs> the good ones?
2: <laughs> yeah, I want worse I want- security for
1: the bad mad scientists. Yeah.
2: I, w- <laughs> <laughs> I want, like, a matchbook holding open the door at, uh, you know, whatever the, whatever MODOK is running right now, yeah. But I-, I thought there was interesting art. Gorgeous covers. Great color. I know we've seen the interior helmet view a million times in the last 15 years. This managed to make it fun. I liked that she had her AI. It's her, you know, deceased best friend and it's, you know, another thing that makes her unique and she sent her AI to class. Like, why don't you mind your own business? Just, like, throw an attitude at the other students who are like, there's a virtual person here? You know, a a reasonable, you know, moment of confusion I think for them, but it was just really funny. She's like, don't worry about it.
1: I also really liked the part where Riri is kind of bothered by another, like, tour of her lab. And her AI is like, if it makes you feel any better, I deleted all their pictures because they're connected to the Wi-Fi. And she's like, that does make me feel better. And I was like, you know what? That's, that's cute. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit abrupt.
0: that the, like Because I think she finalizes the AI at the end of the first issue. And by the second issue, they're very, you know, buddy-buddy. She's very familiar with it. It's like, there's no real curve into that relationship, or really unpacking of the fact that she created an AI that is modeled after the, you know, personality of her dead best friend. Like, so that feels a little bit weird. But issue one isn't really the start of the story. Issue two is. And the story that we get from there on, I think, is pretty good. Mm -hmm. With some really good art. There was something I picked up on in, I think it was issue five, when she's fighting Midnight's Fire. And they're doing that thing where you know, the character is moving really quickly and they show that action by having multiple sequential images of the character performing the action in the same panel. So it creates that sense of immediacy that all of this movement is happening in panel or in the one panel. Yeah. And then a lot of, a lot of art will uh, have those sort of after images be like transparent or just lines. This comic made the decision to have them be almost these like dark Blue and black. I, I almost like, I want to call them cyber shadows because they look like an effect from like a cyberpunk game. Kind of like negative of the real image. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Pretty good. I actually thought that was a really cool and interesting way to communicate that effect in a way that's distinct for this character who has a terrible name, but honestly not a terrible design and is serving a really good role in the narrative as being this sort of like evil. Tempter to Riri. Just, oh my gosh. There's a lot of good stuff in here with Riri where she like, I don't know. This book has more of a personality, so a lot to distinguish it than than the first Ironheart story that we read. And I'm just blown away by how much better I found this. Like, I just was, I've been flipping through. And I think, again, this is issue four, maybe issue three, Midnight's children. Forgot his name already. Shows up to, like, ambush Riri, who's in her workshop, which is her mom's garage. And she has, like, camp chairs set up and invites him in and gives him a pop. It's just... It's so good. (laughs) It's so good.
1: I also really like the moment where she stops that robbery in, like, her neighborhood convenience store. And she's just like, I have to give him a distress signal. I have to protect us. Like, I have to do this. Like, I have, like, that obsession, right? Which... It's maybe a little tropey for, like, genius characters to have. But I think that the way it comes across or where it comes from in this storyline, at least to me, makes it feel less like a trope. But I really like that that bit about her where she's like, I have to do this, right? Like, I have to save the neighborhood. I have to, like, do all this stuff. I thought that was a really good moment as well. Especially because, like, the dudes just kind of accept, unfortunately, just kind of accept that this is... This is just what it's like, right? Like, there's gangs there, and, you know, if they have distress signal, they'd be calling her every day anyways. It's just one of those, like, we have to survive without superheroes, and, you know, unfortunately you can't be here all the time, and, you know, we, we have to figure this out on our own. I
2: like that she does her own thing for her neighborhood in the end. You know, mm-hmm. she, sets, she sets up her lab, which is basically a youth center. So all of these kids that, you know, were were part, were being taken advantage of, She's it, some of them can't go home. Don't have a home. Whatever you know. She has this top secret lab, or we kept the other underground lair a secret. So she has them all come in, and you know, has her AI watch it over them too. And and you know, she finally goes to a meeting with her mom about you know losing her her stepdad. You know, and so real growth by the end of this arc. So I was happy with that. Oh, just you. You spend a lot of time like how how is she going to do something different than all the other superheroes that we've seen so far? Kind of go through this. You know, it's a constant thing with Spider-Man. Like, what's he going to do, you know, for his neighborhood? And, how? you know, he's the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Like, how is he going to make a real difference when it's the same kind of thing over and over again? You know, stopping people from making, you know, from doing these, like, robberies at the corner store or whatever. This is a good, like, oh, okay, she's making a significant difference for these kids that she's you know, saved.
1: So Also, wonderfully refreshing to see a superhero go to therapy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: many should
1: and yeah a lot of them should yeah i remember dc comics tried to do a story granted it was kind of it turned into into a superhero book anyways but um they did a story (laughs) where somebody had set up like a little like a not a confession but like like a therapy booth that these heroes could like go visit and you know receive some Automated therapy, which, you know, doesn't sound too terribly healthy, but I I always thought that was a bit of a novel idea, right? Like them kind of acknowledging that a lot of these heroes see a lot of really traumatic stuff and kind of giving them a little bit of help. Granted, the story then turned into like a murder thing about somebody using the automated therapy booth to like get information and kill some heroes or something. So, of course, it turned into a DC superhero story. But (laughs) the premise, I thought, was novel. And so, it's kind of nice to see that somewhere else.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I think, bringing this back to specifically Ironheart. Yes. I feel like Ironheart is... Like, the story is trying very hard to distinguish Riri from Tony Stark. But the ways that it chooses to do so, the ways that it chooses to highlight specifically, no, they're really similar. Like... Midnight's Fire says, there's a darkness in you that that the other one didn't have. It's it's Tony Stark. He definitely had darkness in him. I'm not buying that.
1: Some would even say it used to be in a bottle.
0: Oh, gosh. (laughs) There's definitely, you know, a lot of similarities between the characters. They're tech geniuses. They wear similar armor with similar AI support systems. They both have that sort of, like, obsessive need to make things right i think this story has weird echoes of the movie iron man 3 where there's kind of these elements of ptsd i think we get this like brief flashback image of Ironheart fighting thanos and not doing so hot
1: Mm-hmm.
0: some some trauma there i yeah
2: do we know what story that is is that like a champion story
0: or a big event i don't know Might have been Infinity something, because there was a, like, there was a Riri Williams timeline at the end of issue one, and I think it references some, like, Infinity books. But, um, the thing that I think makes Riri Williams more interesting, and more of a, like, unique character from Iron Man, is her neighborhood, right? Yeah. And so, it's, it's her background, it's her, like... Tony Stark, when Tony Stark's off and, and meeting with his peers and his you know colleagues and his friends, it's all a bunch of other rich white guys and the token black people that they employ. Ugh. Like, it's 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 very upper-class, uh, inaccessible, lavish wealth and celebrity and stuff like that. And then the, you get echoes of, like, some working-class sentiment when you've got characters like Jim Rhodes and, and others who are kind of in the Iron Man circle. And it's... It's fine for what it is if you're into that sort of thing, which I'm very clearly not. But grounding the Iron Man character in a more I, the words that I'm coming up with are, you know, urban and street level, which are apt, but they also feel like, you know, euphemisms for black american characters which feels wrong, but that's that's what this is. It's she's in Chicago. She's in a multi-ethnic, very diverse very working class neighborhood and she happens to be a genius. Those are the things that distinguish her from Tony Stark. And I think that's what the story does, kind of like with the, the meta text where she's working it out of this lab in MIT and it's not giving her the freedom that she needs. It's not giving her the the sense of person and identity that she wants. So she relocates back home and that seems like a better fit for her. Like, that's what makes her special in the you know vast array of all of these different iron suited characters which there are quite a few of now riri is different because of where she comes from and who she surrounds herself with and that's cool i want to see more of that i want to read more of this series because that's really cool stuff
1: you know what oddly echoes a lot of the sentiment that you just mentioned is also it's like the two spider-man playstation games interesting yeah the first spider-man game deals with like a lot of like a bit of like white collar crime a lot of like international incident just kind of like bigger things that kind of take the whole of new york Uh, and the miles morales game is really about him in harlem and protecting his neighborhood from like a of course like evil energy company that's kind of setting up shop in harlem and so like you know kind of what you're talking about with you know Tony Stark being like a bigger picture or just a different environment that's much bigger and really being like closer to home, that just kind of reminded me of that, a little bit of that kind of narrative in those games.
0: I haven't played those games. That's interesting. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Sure is interesting. (laughs) I have.
1: I don't know how to respond to that. (laughs) But yeah, I don't know. I, I enjoyed this. I don't know that I thought it was amazing in the same way that like, again, maybe it's because uh miss marvel really felt like it was firing on all cylinders this one doesn't quite hit the same i think there's a few pacing issues in like the first two or three the first two or three issues and then it kind of finds its stride but even then like it's a pretty quick paced book i really would have liked to see it breathe a little bit more
0: a little bit yeah
2: yeah this is one where we uh, i'm glad that we have it i hope it continues because there are a lot of interesting places that this will go that are different from what we've already seen. An armored character, you know, like Steven was talking about. So, yeah, bring on more Ironheart. And they they put her in the movies, and so it's only a matter of time. D- wait, just, I mean, maybe they put her in the movies. How far have both of you watched in the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe?
1: God,
0: it's I'm fine. Mostly. <laughs> I'm very not. <sighs> it's fine. I know. I know. Like, they cast okay. her. Okay, okay.
2: I, I mean, I'm, I'm glad, I don't know, I it was okay. It just also felt like, I don't know, either, either. <laughs> how do you talk about something without ruining things and also like sounding like a wet blanket? There's an iron heart in the MCU now, though. I'm just going to leave it at that.
0: Um, the character is interesting here. I, I hope that the movie does a good job of portraying her. I would be curious to see, I guess, what else they wind up doing with her.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, just good stuff. Yeah, I think there's a real solid... I don't I don't know if I would call it a relaunch, but it's a really good solid starting point for the character uh, in terms of kind of identity. I think you still need... I don't know if you necessarily need to read the previous stuff that, that we read, but at, at least kind of in terms of the character finding its own identity, I think there's an excellent excellent spot for it.
0: Yeah, there's... I, I, I know I've mentioned this before, but there's a period of comics, and it kind of starts with Ms. Marvel, and goes through until about 2018, 2019, where a lot of these young teenage girls, in particular, wind up getting their own series, and for the most part, they're really good. Uh, This feels like that version, like that era of comic, and it's at the tail end of it, and it's not the first time that Riri Williams had her own series, but I feel like this is what her first series should have been like, because we read her first Mm -hmm. Solo series And weren't Blown away by it No This is more What I was hoping It would be I think And I think Part of it Is that First story She was too Wedded To the character Of Tony Stark If I remember correctly Her like AI companion Was Tony Stark At that time I might be Misremembering Yeah Okay And it was like He
2: he wasn't He wasn't alive But he wasn't dead But like And the AI Was kind of His ghost The way they played it So it was odd
1: yeah, cuz he had died, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Or he was like in a coma and was right, like nobody dies brain dead, members. but
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely definitely stronger, I think. I would I mean, at this point, I would feel okay with recommending Ironheart with this series. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Whereas with the other one, I think I would have looked for an alternative. You know, I would always recommend Ms. Marvel. And I think at this point, I can yeah. recommend Ms. Marvel and this. <laughs> <laughs> Por qué no los dos? Por qué no los dos? So I think since we're already
0: doing the comparison thing, we should do more comparison things, and let's go ahead and rank our stories. How's about? Okay. Oh sure. So currently on our list we have scroll to the bottom two hundred and twenty-four stories.
1: Wow. Two hundred
0: twenty-four is quite a bit. Yeah. That's quite a bit of reading we've done. Yeah. We've got a lot of oh man. Do
2: you know what's weird is that we've read all this, I still don't feel like I've scratched the surface of comic books. You know, <laughs> like, we've read a lot, and I still feel like a novice
0: at a lot of this. Yeah. Ugh. With these stories, so, 224, what's, uh, what's half of that? 112? That is, oh, that's the Infinity Comics for Shang-Chi, the, uh, Project Galsemium. Such a, such a cumbersome little title. hmm where do these stories go in relation to that? Let's start with Tomb of Dracula. I want to say Tomb of Dracula goes below that, but maybe not too far below that because it's it's really not a great story. Until the end where all of a sudden it, it it actually maybe was good all along, but then you think about what was in the earlier pages and it's like no, it really wasn't. But still, I would put it hmm, I would put it below Demon Bear at uh,
2: 118. That's that's my opening bid, I guess. I think it was good to bring up that midpoint because this is kind of the neighborhood I was thinking of, um, but that's where I would put it as 118. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, I would put this... I actually would put this right above Project Gossimium. I'm not a big fan of Squirrel Girl, but I would still put that over this, but also... I don't know. I, I liked the intro probably a little bit more than both you guys, so mm. I think a little higher of it. I mean that's that's a good area. I mean I don't really have any complaints of that area. I would maybe I guess if we wanted to go lower. The Ghost Racers story was a little better. Cage, while maybe a little mm. problematic, had a really fun art that kind of
0: Cage did have really good art.
2: Like the problematic bit of cage is kinda where my floor was. I was like, alright. And I like this better than Project Galcimeon. Um, mm-hmm. we've said that more now than we did on the original podcast for it. <laughs> I, I like it more than that, but I don't like it more than Messiah War or Ghost Racers Battle World or Demon Bear. Those are three, you know, pretty good.
1: Pretty so good if, ones, if so. yeah, if we were going to go as low as 118, I would push it maybe just a little bit more and just put it under Cage because Cage at least has a little bit of that novelty of it being a Tartakovsky project. Tartakovsky is really great.
0: I would put this, I would put this just beneath Cage. Um, I kind of want to put it above that Star Wars story because I don't actually remember that Star Wars story Which anymore. Which one? The the now this is not pod racing.
1: Oh yeah, that's the, yeah I remember that <laughs> Star Wars one annual vaguely. I I remember there not being a whole lot of pod racing.
0: <laughs> I remember liking that story more than the two of you did, but I also remember like the copy said that it was going to be like a podcast or a podcast, a podcast between Luke and Vader.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so. Vader, I'm going to have to edit out all of those
0: (laughs) (laughs) Man, being Darth Vader's podcast editor would suck. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I find your lack of auto-leveling discouraging. Dang it. No, shut up, Steven. Okay, anyway, yeah, let's put it Beneath
1: Cage. Okay, Beneath Cage.
0: So that's number 120, above Joss Whedon. Yeah, that's good enough. Above Joss Whedon (laughs) is probably right. (laughs) Boy, the Cinema Therapy guys... Tackled uh, Firefly last week, and I loved their take on Firefly. But boy, is it hard to visit some Joss Whedon stuff
1: nowadays. Yeah, a little bit. Actually, quite a lot of it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's it's the Bill Cosby thing all over again, where like there are problematic creators out there who you can still kind of enjoy, but. Bill Cosby was the Family Guy, you know. He he was like family friendly, la da da da. And it turns out he's this terrible rapist. Joss Whedon was a feminist. It turns out he's real bad to women and also black people apparently.
1: Really? Yeah, I, I do need to correct you. The Family Guy was uh, was actually Seth MacFarlane. <laughs> <laughs> hey, were you guys there when I farted? <laughs> <laughs> Is it is it a little weird that I am more surprised that there hasn't come up anything against Seth McFarlane like I don't, I don't know it's just a little surprising considering the content of his work <laughs> I, don't I, know. I,
2: I think he offend like he does you know offensive jokes to everyone he like you know and so yeah I, I'm surprised at some of it like they are not kind to Joe who is you know in a wheelchair at all yeah um <laughs> you know
1: I don't know yeah, know. it's it's kind of weird because uh, there's some been there's been some uh, allegations and they're being taken to court for Justin Roiland and somehow that was like the least surprising thing because of, I, I don't know something about Justin Roiland just I was like yeah I'm not surprised honestly and somehow it's like the opposite reaction with like Seth MacFarlane is like really nothing okay <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah I think you know it's like
1: yeah I don't know
2: it's different when you kind of expect it or you
1: know. yeah so anyways Ironheart. <laughs> So Ironheart goes higher. <laughs> Good. Do we have yeah. a name. Do we have a name for this book?
2: That's my question. Good question. Ironheart two. Iron harder.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Iron two. Electric boogaloo, because that mm-hmm. never gets old.
2: It's funny to me every time, but I don't make that because I think the world is like, we
1: get it. But I'm like, but I still. It's still fun for me yeah part of me is tempted to call it like uh was it like heartbite or heartbeats the the little letters thing they had at the end of the issues
0: so the trade is titled those with courage what a descriptive title like i i remember like you know where it came from sure but like but yeah i think i think that's what i would go with uh even though it's like i didn't type whatever uh anyway yeah where do we want to rank it though those with courage. Not like a, a, not super high. I don't know.
2: It's like, I want to give it points because I'm like, yes, it's good that we have this book. I want us to keep having, you know, characters that have not been in the spotlight before get they get their time and like show, you know, not just another Steve Rogers or, or Tony Stark, you know, great. But it's, you know, it's not the best we've read, but it's not poorly made at all. The
0: art and the colors particularly really jumped out at me.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Okay. I'm going to, uh, here's, here's a thought. I'm just going to throw this out here. Number 91. So take the place of Secret Invasion just beneath Mary Jane and Black Cat. That puts it kind of in the same area as Gwen Stacy, Spider-Woman. Uh, it puts it above things like Rogue and Gambit and Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, which kind of have a similar feel to me. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know that that's exactly right. That's my first thought. What do you think?
1: I feel like i'd go a little lower mostly because Girl and devil dinosaur i think was better i would put this above secret wars at like 105
0: oh easy it's easily better than the the 1980s secret wars <laughs> yeah so i i i'm fine with that yeah yeah that fits then
1: Man, it's so weird when we all have a pretty solid agreement of... Yeah, are you
2: guys all feeling okay? Is that all right? Like, everyone okay? We have been agreeing
0: a lot more recently than we used to. <laughs> what happened? We need to fix that. I'm just going to pick
2: some really weird niche uh, X-Men book that I know everyone's going to hate but me and uh, <laughs> bring that to the table. My first... Again? like. <laughs> <laughs> My first uh, Spider-Man comic that I remember was actually, like, a New Warriors crossover, which is just a bad story, but I love the comic that, like, I read. Like, I just, you know, I loved it because it was my first one, so um, I keep waiting for that to come on Unlimited, and it hasn't yet. But that's going to be one where I'm going to be like, I don't care that this is weird and and it's not very good in parts. I'm going to vote it high because I love it so. And, yeah, that'll be the day, so spider-man new warriors you you've been warned it's a crossover that goes to a bunch of weird books like web of spider-man spider-man and uh, like the amazing spider-man spectacular spider-man and then new warriors in the end it's a weird four-parter <laughs> it's a fair warning out there but uh, yeah for now there's also
1: a, a really i don't want to say terrible it's not great There's like a really su- subpar spider-man wolverine team-up book that I remember being fond of, and then I reread it, and I was like, oh, it's not as good as I remember. But they're being... Uh, they're they're time traveling. They're being thrown through time by a couple of, like, thugs. And I remember the how the actual, like, quote-unquote quote, thugs are, like, drawn. It's not very flattering stereotypes. But that's one of those books I want to <laughs> I wanna recommend one of these days because I'm like, it's so not great, and I feel like we need to pat the bottom a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like that'll do just the job, but, like, I, I hate recommend, <laughs> I hate making us read bad Spider-Man books because I love Spider-Man. Yeah.
2: I mean, to be <laughs> fair, there is a lot of Spider-Man. And there so, is so much you Spider-Man. Know. As as much good as there is, like I I don't know what's what's the percentage of good Spider-Man to bad Spider-Man? Like I would say it's got to be there's got to be more good than bad, but y- you'd hope so. Significant a significant portion. You're like we'd roll our eyes at now. Maybe I don't know. I
0: don't yeah.
1: Know. Anyways, what are we reading next time? So next time we're uh,
0: getting a two for one sort of a two for. Two. We're reading a twelve issue series about the character Arrow. Not arro This isn't the the CW series. This is Arrow, the great five energy, seven power card from Marvel Snap. You failed this podcast.
2: (laughs) Hate it. Had to.
0: Not sorry. You know what the best part of the Arrow series was, CW's Arrow? Flash. I only watched the first season. Oh. The first season sucked. It's incredibly bad. But the very last episode has uh, John Barrowman's character like, has set up this device that's going to cause a massive earthquake. Oh, was it Merlin? Yeah, it was Merlin, Mm -hmm. wasn't it? And, you know, Ollie stops him, and he's like, I've saved the city, you will not destroy it. And then the guy says, you ever heard of redundancy? And there's another earthquake device somewhere else, and it goes off. Best part of the whole show. (laughs) Anyway, we're not reading that. We're reading (laughs) the Arrow, A-E-R-O. She is a character that's come out of, I believe she was introduced in Agents of Atlas, Uh, as, like, the War of the Realms tie-in. And this is her first solo series that comes out right after that. Uh, We just wanted to read it because I've been... Well, I just wanted to read it because I've been playing the card a lot in Marvel Snap, and she is doing some work for me there. So we're going to read Arrow, and the story... At least the first six issues have a backup story involving the character Wave, who I have not yet unlocked in Marvel Snap, but I'm working on it. And so I think we're just going to read that one 12-issue series, and we'll, you know... Rank the 12-issue series, and, I don't know, maybe we'll, we'll rank the little Wave backup story as well. Should be fun. I don't know really anything about the character of Arrow. I actually read the first issue of the series when it was first put up on the app, and I don't remember anything about it other than it's got a lot of manga-influenced art.
1: I remember there was also, like, a one-shot. I don't remember what the... Uh, branding on it was, but I think there was like a one shot for a few of these characters because I think they came out of a mobile game as well.
2: I'm just scrolling through the the Marvel database, like the fandom, and there's a bunch of characters related, like through Agents of Atlas and others that I don't really know. Yeah, Arrow, yay, wind powers, ooh, I don't know what else to say. <laughs> That's as good as Eddie as any, I think. <laughs> <laughs>